Hello and welcome back to Bad Apple. I'm Riley. And I'm Helen. And today we're going back to our roots. It's true. We're going back to the classics. I said we should and now we're here. We got a little too abstract. Bit too funky town. It was beginning to stray away from crime. A little. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Into conspiracies. I agree. I was getting the um getting the tinfoil hats on. Yeah. Bit too much. We're taking them off. Yeah. And we're putting on our detective hats. Fact hats. Just facts. Yep. No printers, just facts. <laughs> you better keep that in. I don't want to host with you anymore. <laughs> Interesting. I haven't felt truly angry in a while. Mmm. This one definitely got me going. Yeah. Got me riled up. So we're back. Yeah. Our true selves as well. Exactly. Yeah. And we're taking it back to New Zealand. Yeah, we haven't been there in a while either. Have we not? I think the last three might have been here, right? How did I let that happen? I don't know. That's why I said this week, I said, Helen, you pick a case. Me? You didn't pick this one. No, I didn't. I felt bad. I felt like I was still in the spotlight. (laughs) So I decided to hand it back graciously. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thanks. Thanks for that. You're welcome. It's a pretty recent case. Very recent. Only three years ago. Right. You're right. Mm. And a classic homicide. Yeah. To get you all riled up. Yeah. Got got me riled up. About the bad, bad people in the world. Mm. Let's go. Let's go. At 11.55pm on Friday the 3rd of February 2018, 16-year-old Dunedin girl Amber Rose Rush sent a text message to her boyfriend, Kristen Clark. When Amber suddenly stopped replying, Kristen became concerned and went to go check on her. He knocked on her window at 12.15am but didn't get a reply. Everything seemed normal at the house, so he sent her one more message at 12.17 and then returned home. Shortly after Kristen left in the early hours of Saturday the 3rd of February, Amber's brother Jaden came home from work and knocked on her door to see if she was awake. With no response from her, Jaden figured Amber was asleep and went to bed himself. He was awoken the next morning to his mother screaming and instinctively jumped out of bed. Jaden saw his sister's lifeless body and her room covered in blood, and when he realised what was happening, he told his mother to call the police. He said he hoped that giving her a task to do would stop her from freaking out too much. Interesting. I'm going to give him a pass. I see the intention there. He's a kid. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Authorities arrived and Amber was pronounced dead at the scene. She had died as a result of blood loss sustained from an 11-centimetre cut to the left side of her throat, which had severed her carotid artery and perforated her windpipe. She also sustained a number of stab wounds to the back of the neck and two other superficial horizontal cuts to her throat. Amber Rose went to school at Kaikorai Valley College, but left at the end of 2017 to start work at a shopping centre in Dunedin, with ambitions of joining the police force once she was old enough. She was described by her school principal as, quote, a quiet, friendly student, Amber's older brother, Jaden, said that life at home with Amber was intense and that she was, quote, stubborn and thick-skinned, but with a soft heart, and she was a very talented artist. On her 16th birthday, she had gotten a tattoo which she had designed herself. An artist, like yourself. A New Zealand artist. Yeah. Are you allowed to get tattoos when you, or is it like... Yeah. Ah. If you have your parents' permission. Ah, nice. Yeah. The investigation began at the Rush house, which was forensically examined. 
Police also turned their attention to the blackhead quarry which was near the house. In particular, a dark-colored vehicle which was parked in the car park between 11.30 p.m. and 12.30 a.m. on Saturday. A swamp at the quarry was drained, and Amber's Huawei phone was found at the bottom. Investigators were able to replicate the contents of the phone, including Instagram messages between Amber and a 30-year-old doctor called Venet Scantha. Scantha was born in Malaysia, but had moved to Auckland with his family, where he completed his medical degree at the University of Auckland. In 2016, Scantha began his career at the Southland Hospital in Invercargill, before transferring to the Dunedin Public Hospital in 2017. In Dunedin, Scantha's behaviour was erratic and attention-seeking. He didn't socialise with people his own age, preferring the company of teenagers, who he supplied with drugs and alcohol. He also sought sexual relationships with some of the girls. He would touch them and offer them money for sex. People who knew Scantha said it seemed as though he was, quote, making up for lost time, as he attempted to maintain a hedonistic party life after being dedicated to his studies for such a long time. As a result, his new career, which he had worked so hard to get, was also suffering. He was turning up to work drunk, bringing friends into the hospital during his shifts and berating other staff members. On one occasion, Scantha treated a patient while intoxicated and incorrectly filled in the paperwork. While the patient was unharmed, it did get the intention of the Dunedin Public Hospital, and he was given his final warning for such behaviour. Scantha's excuse was that he was drinking to cope with the death of his mother. But she wasn't dead. She was very alive. She was alive. Was, he, was she overseas? No. Bold. Yeah. <laughs> Bold lie. I know. Amber and Scantha met in mid-2017, when she was 15. As part of this social circle, Amber knew about Scantha's inappropriate behaviour. It was this that was the subject of the heated Instagram exchange that investigators found on Amber's phone. On Friday the 2nd of February 2018, the day before Amber's body was discovered, she had threatened to report Scantha to his employer and to police for supplying young women with alcohol and molesting them. Apparently, Amber had also posted screenshots of the conversation on her Instagram page, confirming that she was serious about taking the complaints to the authorities. Their last messages were sent at 11.25pm. This exchange gave Scantha a strong motive, and as police tried to establish enough evidence to arrest him, a witness came forward and confirmed their suspicions, that he had been with Scantha on the night of February the 2nd, and together they drove to Amber's house. The witness said that Scantha went into Amber's house, and when he came back out, he was carrying a bloody knife as well as Amber's phone and driver's license. The 16-year-old boy, who had moved in the same circles as Amber, said that he had sent a screenshot of Amber's post to Scantha at around 11pm, and then he received a call from Scantha around half an hour later, saying that he was coming to pick him up. He was collected by Scantha in his silver BMW, and the pair drove to Amber's Clermiston Avenue home. The boy sat in the car while Scantha went into the house and murdered Amber in her bedroom, before returning to the car and travelling to the quarry to dispose of Amber's possessions and the knife. The witness says that Scantha told him to clean the car, but that he deliberately did a bad job so that there might still be some DNA for police to find. This boy? Yeah. Interesting character. He is an interesting character, isn't he? Because he firstly is stirring the pot, sending the post. And then he's trying to unstir it. And then he's like, oh, and, oh. But fair enough. He's only 16. I would do that too. Yeah. Stir also, the pot. I imagine if, like, Scantha is this 30-year-old older male character 
supplying mm. drugs and alcohol at parties. These teenage boys might be wanting to appeal to him. Yeah, definitely. Gross. The witness says that Scantha put his clothes in a plastic bag and the pair drove to Scantha's girlfriend's house in Balclutha, where he burned his bloodied clothes. After this, on February 4th, Scantha finally dropped the boy home, threatening to kill him, his family, and his cat if he were to tell anyone what had happened. Naturally, the boy went to the police, and soon after, Scantha was arrested for Amber's murder. Yes, boy. Yeah. Another a classic. I kind of like this. I do kind of like him, yeah. I kind of... I think we're at, we can probably overlook his... Initial... Character flaws. Hmm... <laughs> I also... When um, push comes to shove, he has come through here. Yeah. But arguably, Scantha would have seen those Instagram posts anyway. Yeah. Because he follows... He obviously has connection to Amber on They were messaging. Instagram. Yeah. Also, I wanted to mention, how much must this boy talk about his cat? Yeah. For Scantha to also include the cat I'll in the get threat. The cat. Yeah. He's like, no, not the cat. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. I he was reckon. like, I'm going to the cops. <laughs> <laughs> not Mr. Whiskers. Not Mr. Whiskers. On the 5th of February 2018, Scantha was charged with Amber's murder and appeared in the Dunedin District Court. He was also charged with four counts of threatening to kill, which was the boy and his family. And the cat. (laughs) I don't think the cat was included. Oh, very important. Justice for Mr Whiskers. (laughs) On the 23rd of May, an additional count of indecent sexual assault was added, after a woman came forward alleging that Scantha had invited her to stay at his place following a night out in Dunedin and sexually assaulted her after she fell asleep in his bed, then threatened to kill her if she told anyone. Scantha pled not guilty to all the charges, but was remanded in custody awaiting the trial. Between August 2018 and January 2019, Scantha made various applications for bail and when they were denied, appealed the decisions to the Court of Appeal which dismissed his application again. There they go. My favourite court. The Court of Appeal. Getting it done. Do you guys have one here? We have many, yeah. Why do they never come up? It's always New Zealand cases going to the Court of Appeal. I think there's a lot of appeals going on in New Zealand. Mm. You guys, there's a lot going on over there. Interesting, interesting. People really love to maintain their innocence till the last breath they take. Right. You Australians just give up. Once we feel like we've had a fair go, we're like, oh, all right, and cop it. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 okay. He applied to have his trial moved out of Dunedin, which was also dismissed. Some people like to move their trials if they think they'll get a better, maybe a more favourable jury or a different judge in a different city. Mm. It is very common in the US if something happens in, like, a small town... That would be Dunedin. They'll apply to move it to a bigger city. Auckland. So that, like, less people would know about it and, like, the demographic is a little different, which might favour in, like, this guy was university educated. Yeah. If it's a more similar demographic, maybe more migrants in Auckland as well. Right. Stuff like that. I see. That might, they might end up on the jury and might be more favourable. Mm. Mm. Well, he definitely wasn't making a good impression on Dunedin. No, he really wasn't. So fair enough. He applied for bail for the fourth time in March 2019, but was denied again, and was held in remand until his trial commenced in Dunedin on the 4th of November 2019. While all of this was happening, tragedy struck again for the Rush family in June 2018, 
four months after Amber's death. Her mother, Lisa Ann, also passed away. It's believed that she took her own life. In a tribute on social media after Amber's death, Lisa had said, quote, I don't know how to be without you. I cannot see a way to live without you. You're everything to me, to all of us. Scantha was on trial before a jury of 10 men and two women. The prosecution presented evidence about Scantha's motivations for killing Amber, alleging that he had indecently assaulted Amber in early 2018 and that he had killed her to prevent her taking her claims to the authorities, which would have ended his medical career. Arguably something already on the line due to his own actions. Yeah. Okay, Scantha. He really, for someone who was like, oh, I worked so hard to get this career, I really value this career, he really was just like fucking around. Yeah. Like he really wasn't taking it seriously. Exactly. He was doing it to himself. Oh, it seems like a bit of, um. sounds like he really redirected his own issues and like onto her you yeah know? didn't want to take responsibility for his own things his own shortcomings like focused in on something that was pretty much going to be unrelated yeah whatever that word is help us we can't think of it we've been trying to think of the word for someone that puts their blame on other people a narcissist a scapegoater a, a deflector a blame shifter none of these are hitting the spot no and we're really frustrated by that it's too late it's yeah. too late to figure it out. We can't. We simply can't. It's been a long day for us. Let's move on. Yep. To back up this theory, they presented a strong lineup of witnesses, including Amber's older sister and boyfriend, who had testified about the nature of the relationship between her and Scantha, saying that Amber had considered moving in with Scantha when they were on good terms, but didn't after her sister advised her against it, believing he was intending on grooming her. That's good sister advice. What would you? What would make her think that, you know, 30-year-old man, 16-year-old girl? I don't know. The 16-year-old boy, who had accompanied Scantha, testified about the bloodstains on his clothes, that he was coerced by Scantha into cleaning bloodstains off his car and shoes and the disposal of Amber's belongings. The witness, during cross-examination, admitted that while he was a compulsive liar, his account was truthful. You've got to acknowledge stuff like that sometimes. <laughs> That's true. You've got to be like, listen, I know that sometimes I'm a compulsive liar, but this time I am telling the truth. <laughs> That's like me and my job applications. I'm like, I know I did a really bad job in this subject. I'm just going to acknowledge it off the bat. <laughs> but most of the time, this time, I'm going to do a good job at your place of work. I swear. Yeah. So I think it's better to be honest. Interesting character, this 16-year-old Dunedin boy who got caught up in this. Yeah. I hope he's doing all right after this. Yeah, well, we'll come to see that he was almost scapegoated a little bit. Uh, you're right. Mm. A lot of that in this case. Scapegoating. That way, this way. Yeah. 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 Everyone's like, wasn't me, wasn't me. Scantha's then ex-girlfriend, Bridget Clinton, testified about his behavior after the offense. They broke up. That was his behaviour. Yeah, no, but she was his girlfriend when he went and stayed at her house after the night after. Oh, yeah. And now right. she said, oh. I'm not having any part of that. In the trial, she had become his ex-girlfriend. Ex mm -hmm. That's probably a good move. Yeah, good job, Bridget. Those are some red flags. She confirmed that he had burned his clothing in a terracotta pot at her Balclutha home and that he was anxious and agitated following Amber's death even going so far as to harm himself with a samurai sword before he was questioned by police the day before his arrest. Plot twist. The samurai sword 
is the main character. You guys, why does everyone have a samurai sword in New Zealand? Do you have one? I've been meaning to tell you this. <laughs> no, I don't have a samurai sword. They're everywhere. They are everywhere because the last case was in the North Island and Dunedin's in the South Island. So by those two data points, they must be all across New Zealand. They have to be. A police officer who had been working undercover as a family friend in the days following Amber's death testified that Scantha visited the family home, but didn't appear upset when he offered his condolences to Amber's mother, Lisa. He suggested the possibility that Amber had killed herself, or that it had been her stepfather or a violent ex-boyfriend that was responsible, and then left. The audacity of this man. He has so much audacity. Get out. Get, Get leave. Leave. Bye. That's why they put this undercover police officer there. Because they were like, this person has some audacity. The prosecution also had a lot of physical evidence which implicated Scantha. The blood found on his shoes and car window, which was left behind by our boy, who didn't clean it properly. On purpose. On purpose. Oh, you did. He's a thinker. It worked. It worked. This blood was 800,000 million times more likely to have come from Amber than from anyone else. Further, there was a mixed DNA profile containing DNA from Amber and Scantha inside the passenger door of the car. There was also blood which matched Amber's DNA profile found in a bag which had Scantha's clothes in it. CCTV footage was presented of a silver BMW which matched Scantha's travelling to Amber's house on the night of her death, as well as the social media conversation between the pair. So things were stacking up against him. The prosecution presented 69 witnesses and more than 1,000 pages of evidence. The defence clung to the potential unreliability of the witness account of the boy that was with Scantha and presented the theory that it was him that killed Amber and then framed Scantha. The boy allegedly had an estranged relationship with Amber and had a good knowledge of her house layout and knew where her bedroom was. They suggested that the boy had planted the evidence on the shoe and the car in order to implicate Scantha, and that because there was none of Scantha's DNA in Amber's room, he couldn't have been the killer. The defence questioned the police investigation, saying that the boy hadn't been investigated thoroughly enough, but they didn't present any witnesses to help establish this theory. That's too advanced. No one was going to back it up. Yeah, but the theory, the theory oh, itself, yeah. I think, too advanced. Yeah. That's 4D chess. That's 4D chess, and he was 16, and we know he's... You know, a bit of a... <laughs> yeah. He's not... I don't think he's that cunning. You know what I mean? I agree. Yeah. I also wanted to point out, here's my 4D chess moment. Mm-hmm. The injuries that she sustained were very precise. I see where you're going here. And very, like, someone knew where to go, where mm. to cut, where to stab. Mm-hmm. Who would know? A doctor. A doctor. Who would do a terrible job? A 16-year-old boy. Yeah, that would be a bit more of a all-over-the-place job. And I imagine if he could attack with such preciseness mm-hmm. and effectiveness, there is a possibility that he leaves no DNA. You're right, if he was just in there really quickly. Yeah, and if, if she was asleep. Was precise. And just did it and and gapped. Yeah, sure, I think there might be a... I mean... Yeah? You know, there's no DNA left behind? Don't know. Just my 4D chess moment. Mm. On the 22nd of November 2019, almost two years after Amber was murdered, the jury delivered a unanimous verdict of guilty for Amber's murder 
as well as the four counts of threatening to kill, but he wasn't convicted on the count of indecent assault. On the 6th of March 2020, Scantha was sentenced to life imprisonment with a non-parole period of 19 years. At the sentencing hearing, Scantha wore a pair of earplugs during the reading of a witness statement written by Amber's mother, who had since passed away. Since sentencing, he has continued to maintain his innocence, and his lawyer, Jonathan Eaton, has announced that they are intending to appeal the conviction on the basis of a miscarriage of justice. How rude of it. Earplugs. Take out the damn earplugs. Listen, once again, he's not taking responsibility. He's just like, oh, I simply do not hear. Very frustrating character, this guy. I think this appeal, delayed. Indefinitely. She's delayed. Forever. From pandemic. We're not doing her. But I think we should just not bother. Yeah, I agree. I agree also because there has, I mean, for a fleeting moment, we considered the 16-year-old boy as another possible suspect, but there weren't really any others. Yeah. So, sorry, Scantha. It does appear that it was you. The court has spoken. The The bad apple court. The bad apple court. All our jury members are apples. (laughs) Just different types of apples. Yeah. We got a jazz apple. A royal gala apple. Red delish. Granny Smith. We've got them all. And they all think unanimously. Yeah. What made this extra sad for me when I was researching is that on the 5th of January 2018... Amber updated her profile picture on Facebook, which you can still see. Her Facebook is still up, which is another interesting point. But she updated her profile picture and the caption said, 2018 is going to be my year, but she was murdered less than a month later. Damn. Damn. She just like started this new job. She was like, yeah, I'm going to work and then I'm going to go into the police force. Yeah. Sounds like she took the step out of high school. Yeah. Was going to do something she wanted to do. Another interesting thing to note is in October of 2017, Amber got her first tattoo as a present for her 16th birthday, and it was a design that she had drawn herself. After her death, her mom and her brother got the same tattoo in the same place as a tribute. There was also a Give a Little campaign which raised $8,445 for the family, which helped them with funeral costs. From what I saw online, it seemed like, I mean, and if what you say is true, about Dunedin. It seems that this like the small Dunedin community really did band together mm. after this and they did help the family quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Also interesting to note, in November of 2019, a Radio New Zealand broadcaster compared the media coverage of this case to the Grace Mullane case, which we've also covered. And is like similar in the sense that it's both two young girls who died in New Zealand, like, were killed. At the hands of male violence. Yeah. Yeah. This broadcaster argued that the foreign media outlets not following the New Zealand name suppression orders in both cases impacted the fair trial rights. Interesting. Mm. I think that is a point that the courts are struggling to keep up with as our our world and our news becomes increasingly global, these suppression orders that are domestic don't apply to international news networks. Mm. So they can publish names and then someone from New Zealand can go and access that. I will say there has been a small update, and I'm not completely across it, 
But I know that Google, they've a lot of people have come for Google mm. for like disseminating articles into jurisdictions where names have been suppressed. And I'm pretty sure now that there is some way you can, there is some way you can, um, like they have a duty now to prevent news getting into those jurisdictions where the name's been suppressed. And if they don't, they face, they're liable for penalties, etc. But definitely something that is like, how do you arbitrate that? Isn't it your duty as a juror to not look around? Yeah. I think they're just saying if you already have. Right. I see. It's not your fault if you're just on Google. And it was, because I know in the Grace Mullane one, it was on like the Google homepage, like the next day. And heaps of people in New Zealand saw it. Mm. Yeah, right. Yeah, I was going to say. But absolutely jurors shouldn't go looking. <laughs> I was going to say, bold assuming anyone in New Zealand reads anything but the New Zealand Herald. <laughs> what about stuff.co.nz? And stuff. <laughs> and um, where else do we get our news from New Zealand? That's literally it. Those are our two citations for this episode. And every New Zealand episode we do. Yeah. Newshub.co.nz. Oh, yeah. That's it. ODT.co.nz. I don't know what that is. The Otago Daily Times. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know what that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is interesting. I didn't even notice that until I came here. I was like, yeah, it's true. We never really say their names. There's a lot of name suppressions in New Zealand. We don't have that many. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Very, a lot of name suppressions. And you know what else? A lot of court of appeal. You guys are doing stuff different over there. Mm. Just slightly. And it's throwing me off. I wonder if it leads to many better outcomes. I don't think so, girl. Ah, Girl, you're... Everyone's... How many times have you invoked the Privy Council to try and fix a mistake? Or how many times have we had to come over and be like, oh, we'll write a nice report. Can't blame us. We just have a crush on the Privy Council. We just want their attention. We want them to look this way. (laughs) Do you think they like us back? Mm, I don't know. I think you're being a bit clingy. Maybe it is that and not enough happens over there. I'm still adamant about this theory. Not enough happens. Something happens. We're like, oh my God. Oh my God. Ah. Still learning. Yeah. Still developing a, a jurisprudence. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Fair enough. Just borrow ours. <laughs> I guess so. I'll, we, you can, I'll give it to you. Thank you. Thank You're welcome. You. They consider it. Your problems are solved. We're basically the same country. We should just uh, envelop you into... You want to be part of us? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, I don't think you do either. <laughs> that was thoroughly a sad case. Yeah, very sad. We haven't done a sad one in a while, and I'm feeling sad. Yeah. I guess I feel like, I feel a bit bad, because when I first was reading through the script and reading through the case, I thought something might have been going on between them two. To, not to say that there, there probably was, like, prior, because mm-hmm. they were on good terms at some point. But I assumed the attack was out of that and right. not out of her trying to expose him. Yeah. She was trying to do something right mm-hmm. and stop him from doing more screwed up shit. Who was letting this 30-year-old man walk around doing this at teenage parties? Like, I don't know. That's screwed up. Anyway, she was trying to, like write things mm. and gets this mm. which is just so terrible yeah i get what you mean 
it was a very interesting relationship. I guess having someone like that, like like Scantha, in this like circle of teenagers, I feel like it would have affected relationships more broadly within the group, not just relationships between them and him. Mm. Does that make sense? He would have been influencing different people yeah. and like telling them different things and and you know having favorites and and whatever it would have been very very complicated that's true so yeah we'll leave it there thanks for joining us we will don't know we'll be back next week we probably will be we'll be back next week as usual as usual i think we're returning we're staying in new zealand where we should we're staying <laughs> we've we're here to stay baby nz baby woo i wish i could get in that's if we want you. <gasps> oh, <laughs> nah, you're welcome. Wow, in time. Kiora, <laughs> good job. How do you say? Job. How do you say? Um, goodbye. Kakiteano. Kakiteano. Join us next week in wonderful New Zealand, but we'll actually be in the back of Riz's car. I wish we were in New Zealand. And the story won't even be in wonderful New Zealand. It'll be in criminal New Zealand. Yeah. Crime New Zealand. The dark side. Yeah. Fine. It won't be that nice. Come if you want. We would love to have you, though. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. All right, bye. Bye.